And now it's time for us to get a more detailed look at some of these headlines with simple keywords. For this segment, we're joined by Adam on Zoom. Good morning. Good morning, Lena. <laughs> What's your weekend? Uh, my weekend was very uneventful. That's a nice way to spend a weekend. Trying to stay safe, uh, trying to avoid as many public places as possible, mm. I think is the wisest decision. How about you? Uh, same, really. It was uneventful because yeah. mostly because I was exhausted from the first week of our brand new season. Uh, but now that I've recuperated, uh, well, I'm ready to rock and roll once more. Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen those viral images of uh, weddings with no grooms present over the weekend? It's insane. I have not, but I will be looking into it now. <laughs> the bride was there, but the groom apparently was a confirmed patient, which meant that he had to zoom into his own wedding. Wow. Isn't that... Imagine that. I mean, mm. gosh. I no guess... postponement, just, just, just run with it. Just, yeah. yeah. I mean... I, to that, but yeah, I don't think I would ever be able to do that. Right. But I, I suppose times have changed because maybe about a year and a half ago, if we're having the same conversation, they would cancel the wedding. Yeah. But right now, yeah. I, I feel like maybe maybe the circumstances have changed a little bit. But yeah. I go back to, yes, safety first, apparently, even yeah. for the groom. <laughs> right. There's family members and loved ones there in attendance as well, possibly. So, of course, That's it's right. best to keep them safe, right? All right. Speaking of which, we're going to begin with our COVID-19 coverage this morning. And this is our first keyword of the day. Eased restrictions. So daily COVID-19 cases have dropped to the 200,000 range, but this could be due to fewer testings conducted over the weekend. There are also concerns a caseload could pick up again as social distancing rules are eased from this week. What's the latest on them? Yeah, that's right. So from today, the limit on private gatherings will be raised to eight people from the current six, but the 11 p.m. business curfew will remain in place. Now, as the government predicts, the Omicron spread will likely peak this week. It is considering a further easing of the virus curves, but of course, it'll see how the current eased measures will play out first. Uh, the government has, be, has been slowly easing restrictions uh, despite the recent surge in infections. Uh, the focus, of course, now is to care for the seriously and uh, critically ill patients. The rest of the people just being uh, prioritised for self-care at home, mm -hmm. looking after themselves pretty much. Um, now, as for the latest tally, there were just over 200,000 infections as of 9pm yesterday. That's nearly... 11,500 down from the same time on Saturday. And it's also nearly 10,000 cases less than the same time the week before. So it seems like on a week-on-week -week basis, it's starting to um, uh, decrease slightly. Sure, but sure. of course, uh, it is too soon to tell in the week. Um, health officials do predict that the Omicron spread will likely peak around this week and cases will drop from the middle of next week. Therefore, mm. the government is considering this further easing of the virus curbs. Whether the peak will actually come this week, of course, remains to be seen. We have had previous predictions saying that they're going to come this week at the time that they were predicted, right. but uh, that hasn't really been the case. Right. Um, and officials will be looking closely at the infection numbers, especially this week and possibly next week as well, to get a better picture of the trend. Uh, some experts believe that even if the peak does pass, uh, the caseload will not drop as drastically as many people might hope, but rather slowly. Mm. And of course, the easing of the further easing, rather, of the virus curbs could also be a recipe for cases 
to spike again as well, or that downturn being slower than uh, anticipated. All right, so take it in stride and see how those numbers turn out in the weeks to come. Turning our attention to our second keyword of the day. Moving presidential office. Uh, this was quite possibly the most talked about item throughout the weekend. Uh, President-elect Yoon Sung-yeol has decided to move the presidential office to the defense ministry compound in central Seoul in Yongsan. After careful deliberation, it turns out it was kind of in this unprecedented presentation by the president-elect. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about the details. Yeah, it was very much like uh, one of those um, presentations. It reminded me of the presentations I gave back in college with all the visual <laughs> aids and stuff. So uh, he really did want to try and persuade uh, or try and push through his case. Uh, but uh, mm. nonetheless, uh, Yoon has made his decision. And he said it was a decision for the future of the country. Um, and of course, this was a, a teaser. We had been expecting it uh, during the election campaign. Of course, Yoon had been pledging to relocate the top office to initially the Kwangamun government complex uh, and return the presidential office to the public. And he has concluded that the relocation to the Kwangamun government complex was unsuitable as it would cause enormous inconvenience to the public due to uh, security issues. Uh, Yoon said that he will begin to work as president in the defense ministry compound in Yongsan immediately after his inauguration on May 10th. And he added that the current presidential office will be made open to the public that day as well. Mm. Uh, and he also said he would move his official residence to Hanamdong. That's an area, quite an um, affluent area where a lot of business people and diplomats also live right. as well. Right. Um, the defense ministry will move into the Joint Chiefs of Staff building that's within the compound as well. So they won't be going out too far. All right. Uh, Yoon's plan has been met, of course, with mixed set of reactions. Although this is not the first time a president-elect desire to move out of Changwada essentially, but he's the first one to effectively do so. That's right. Uh, uh, some have praised the decision, but there seems to be more discontent toward mm. the decision. Um, even some of his supporters are actually urging him to limit the inconvenience to people uh, and businesses near the new locations. I know of uh, a few people who live in the Yongsan area who aren't really happy because, of course, that area is notorious for the traffic jams and it looks likely that they'll only get worse if the move actually does happen. Uh, but speaking of whether the move actually happens, uh, that is still a bit uncertain at the moment. As you mentioned, uh, previous presidents have made similar pledges, including the current president, Moon Jae-in. He also made that pledge um, mm. and said he would find a new office, but he actually eventually had to abandon the plan for security and logistical reasons. Mm. Um, Yoon, however, is adamant, and he says the compound is already well-equipped with national security and command facilities, and he says it will make it easy to transition there without compromising either security or inconveniencing residents. Um, he also dismissed concerns that were voiced by the Democratic Party that moving the office will create gaps in the national defense. Mm. Um, now, in terms of the cost, the finance ministry estimates the move will cost nearly 50 billion won. Uh, that includes relocating the defense ministry, as well as renovating both the new office and official residence as well. Mm. That is still cheaper than what it would have cost to move to, say, the finance ministry building, but it is still a huge amount of money nonetheless. Mm. Um, but there's a, still a strong debate as to whether a move would actually help the president better communicate with the public or if it's just simply a waste of resources. Um, to address that issue, Yoon said he will reduce the number of staff working for him 
and open the compound to the public as much as possible, mm. only blocking off the building that contains the president's office. So it's kind mm. of like a, a White House situation where right. the White House itself is fenced off, but people can still look in from the outside, right? Exactly. And then there is a park that is actually in the works as we speak, right? Mm. Yongsan Park, right across the street from the Defense Ministry. And this might arguably speed up the process with that beautification project. But whether or not this is in the best interest of the people, I mean, it does seem like it's it's a long-term goal too, right? I mean, it's not just right. for this presidency, but the presidents to come. Uh, because there's still the back and forth and the logistics that you just talked about, we'll have to wait and see if this actually pans out. It's not a lot of time left until May 10th, if you ask me. There isn't, no, only a couple of months. So right. uh, we'll have to see. Yeah. All right, on to our third keyword of the day. Shots fired. North Korea has again conducted weapons tests, this time firing four suspected shots from its multiple rocket launchers. What's the latest, Adam? Yeah, so reports are suggesting that North Korea appears to have fired a short-range multiple rocket launcher. Now, the range of the projectiles or the exact type of weapons that were launched were not actually uh, announced. They were fired, though, toward the Yellow Sea, according to Seoul's military anyway. Uh, the Joint Chiefs of Staff said in a statement that it was monitoring the related situation and maintaining a readiness posture. Uh, Yanat reported that the North fired four shots at around 7.20 a.m. yesterday for about an hour towards its west coast from an unidentified location in South Pyongyang province. Again, no details on the projectiles that were used. Of course, following this, South Korea's National Security Council held an emergency vice ministerial meeting over the launches, as it usually does. The NSC members worked to analyze the details of the firings in coordination with the United States. And they also stressed the need to maintain a firm defense readiness posture, basically the mm -hmm. same kind of responses that come out with these weapon tests. Now, members also said it's, uh, South Korea will use its enhanced military capability and its alliance with the U.S. to prevent a security vacuum as well that may occur from the change of government uh, that will happen in May. So far this year, North Korea has conducted 11 rounds of launches and we're only into uh, mid-March, mm -hmm. so it is quite a lot. Um, last week, a failed North Korean missile launch resulted in a mid-air explosion, uh, which reportedly rained debris near Pyongyang. North Korea, interestingly, has stayed silent about that incident. Uh, experts also believe the regime may soon test a new ICBM, uh, possibly under the guise of a satellite launch again. Uh, more tensions are also in store as Pyongyang is not happy uh, mm -hmm. with planned Seoul-Washington joint military drills. Uh, Pyongyang, uh, North Korean state media, strongly condemning um, the review of that uh, military drill. It's not happening yet, and there's no confirmation of it yet. Uh, it's mostly at simulated drills at the moment, but there are plans of a possible outdoor military drill, which, of course, the North isn't happy about. All right, that brings us to our fourth keyword of the day. EV joint venture. Hyundai is set to invest more money in China to revive its business in the mainland through quality electric vehicles. Run us through the details we know so far. That's right. Uh, Hyundai Motor and China's Beijing-Bake Motor will inject over 1.2 uh, trillion won into their joint venture to enhance the competitiveness of its electric car making uh, amid sluggish sales over there. They will each shoulder half of the investment. It's a 50-50 joint venture. Both companies are scheduled to inject half by June and the rest by December, so it's not all in one go. 
Uh, officials said the move is aimed at enhancing the stability of its financing capacity and also the competitiveness of its electric car manufacturing capability. Mm. Um, and this is coming at a time where Hyundai has been kind of sluggish in the country's EV market, selling less than 5,000 units actually last year. That's far behind not only Tesla, but also Chinese makers such as BYD and NIO. Mm-hmm. Um, Beijing Hyundai is considering production and sales of EVs based on its proprietary electric global modular platform, or EGMP for short, in China, with a plan to develop models only for the mainland. There's been kind of one of the reasonings possibly behind the sluggish sales is that the um, conventional combustion engine models were being converted into electric vehicles and it wasn't that appealing to the Mm. Chinese customers. They want kind of a uh, dedicated electric vehicle coming out. Mm. Um, And of course, this capital increase is expected to support that plan Mm. Uh, and a a revival in China, which is the world's largest automobile market, is of course one of the most important tasks for Hyundai. Um, And the automated car has actually been sluggish since 2017, in fact, with other cars, not just EVs. Mm. Sales actually shrank to 385,000 units uh, in China last year. That's less than a third of the 1.1 million that they recorded uh, in 2016. So they're certainly um, desperate to try and get those sales back up. All right. And on to our last keyword of the day. Hypersonic missile. Taking a look at the Ukraine crisis, Russia says it has used a new hypersonic missile in attacks on Ukraine, making its first use in combat. Tell us the details. Right. So Russia has said it has twice deployed its newest Kinzhal hypersonic missile or Dagger uh, hypersonic missile in Ukraine, claiming on Sunday to have destroyed a fuel depot, depot near Mikolaev and on Saturday on an underground missile and ammunition storage site in the West. Now, Western analysts said they were the first hypersonic missiles to be used in combat. Now, Ukraine's government has confirmed the attacks took place, but Mm. said it was not yet able to say what type of missiles were used. So, they are hypersonic missiles, um, according to Russia, anyway, so far. According to Russian claims. Uh, but yeah. tell us a little bit more about these hypersonic missiles and why Russia would be inclined on using them and its importance. Right. So hypersonic missiles, for those who don't know, are basically weapons designed to fly at speeds greater than five times the speed of sound, or Mach 5. That's about 6,100 kilometers per hour. Uh, The speed and ability to maneuver themselves to a target makes them extremely difficult to track and shoot down. And they can be used uh, to deliver conventional warheads at higher speeds and more accurately than others, Mm. but could also be used to deliver nuclear weapons, which is why they are certainly an area for concern. Um, North Korea, the US, Russia and China, they've all been developing hypersonic weapons, some of which are launched into space. Uh, Russia's Kinzhal has a reported range of 2,000 kilometers and can apparently travel 10 times the speed of sound. Uh, Vladimir Putin has said the country is also developing a hypersonic ICBM called Avangard that will travel at Mach 20 to reach Mm. targets around the world. That's also an area that's particularly of concern in the West. Now, Moscow prides itself on its advanced weaponry, and Putin said in December that Russia was the global leader in hypersonic missiles. So watchers believe the Kremlin is basically trying to show that off and flex Mm. its muscles, especially in front of rivals such as the US, with unfortunately the Ukraine being, um, with what watchers believe, being collateral damage, right. 
All right. Uh, we have a world news segment today. We'll, we'll dive a little bit uh, deeper into Ukraine crisis. But thank you so much for getting the conversation started, Adam. We'll speak to you again tomorrow. See you tomorrow. If you're listening to our program using the podcast service, just a reminder that we do go live Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Korea Standard Time. So tune in and help us make the show more informative by giving us your input. See you bright and early on Good Morning Seoul.